invite you to please turn in your copy of Scripture to our text for this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. As we continue in our series through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and there we read, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the case, uh, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, many of you uh, may remember the presidential elections in 2008 when Senator John McCain was running for president of the United States. And the question that many were asking was, uh, who would he choose as his vice presidential running mate? And the pundits on TV were making their predictions. They were speculating a lot. Uh, many people, you know, it came up in conversation often, uh, speculating about who would he choose. And then finally, Senator John McCain held an event in which he made the announcement. Uh, he had chosen Sarah Palin as his running mate. And the reaction of many, including myself, was, who is she? I had to Google her name because I had never heard of her before. And there might be a similar reaction for many of us when we hear the name Melchizedek. Who is he? We're familiar with the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're familiar with the main figures in the Older Covenant, the very well-known prophets. But Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? What we see in Scripture is that he appears only in Genesis chapter 14, and he appears for only a few verses. There, in those few verses, it describes what Melchizedek did. And the context in these verses is that Abram, at this point in his life, he was still known as Abram, not Abraham. He was returning from his victory over a coalition of kings who had captured Lot, his nephew. We read in Genesis 14 that Abram 
fought against and he defeated this coalition of kings. He rescued Lot and he brought back all the possessions that those kings had stolen. And after Abram's victory, we read in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, that Abram was met by another king who offered him a fellowship meal. We read there in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, about this king. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. What we see in these verses is that Melchizedek was a true believer in God. Abram and his family were surrounded in that time by pagan religion, by idolatry, but we see that Melchizedek is different from the culture around him. Melchizedek is a true believer. He uses the name God Most High when he is speaking about the Lord. This is the same way that Abram speaks about the Lord later when he addresses the king of Sodom. And so Melchizedek then is like Abram. He was and he is a true worshiper of Yahweh, the one true God, as we see in the text. And so the writer of Hebrews, in our text this morning, he highlights four important things about this Melchizedek. And, you know, as we think about how the book of Hebrews explains to us the significance of Melchizedek, I want us to see that this is a, a very wonderful example of why the best interpreter of the Old Testament is the New Testament. As we look again at the Old Testament, not much is said about Melchizedek. He shows up there in Genesis 14. He's mentioned one more time in Psalm 110, and that's it. There's two references. And so what the New Testament does, by God's grace, is it helps us better understand the significance of these older covenant types and shadows. Now, through the lens of the New Testament, we see Melchizedek's importance and his significance as it is explained to us, as the Holy Spirit reveals Melchizedek's role to us in redemptive history. St. Augustine said that the New, meaning the New Testament, is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. Augustine was referring to the fact that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. As God spoke to the Old Testament saints through types and shadows and promises. And so through the New Testament then we see the reality of the types and shadows and promises because we see Jesus and we see the fulfillment of redemption. And so, then what is revealed to us? We want to ask this morning, what is revealed to us in the New Testament, here in Hebrews, about the great Melchizedek? It's a very mysterious figure in the Older Covenant. What do we learn about him? So we look at our first point, the great Melchizedek. We see first that Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. 
we read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now this may be because in Canaanite culture, the king was also a priest over his people. And so what we see is, is these two offices were separated when God instituted his law in the Old Testament, but what we have with Melchizedek, who lived before God gave his law to his people, is that Melchizedek held both of these offices. He was both a king and a priest. Secondly, we see about Melchizedek that he blessed Abraham. We read again there in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, this is significant because at this point in Abraham's life, God had not yet formalized his covenant with Abraham. We know that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham received the promises. God called him from his homeland and gave him that promise of a land that he would prepare for Abraham, promised Abraham a seed, uh, a great inheritance. And, and so Abraham, we know, left in faith and followed God's promise to him. And that was in Genesis 12. In Genesis 15, that covenant is ratified. It's that scene in Genesis 15 where God uh, passes through the halved animals that Abraham had cut uh, into pieces. But here in Genesis 14, we see that Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek. And this is God's way of reaffirming his promise to Abraham before the covenant was ratified there in Genesis 15. That's the significance of the blessing that Abraham receives through Melchizedek. Third, we see that Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. We read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, And to Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. Now, this is important to note here, that Abraham was not required to do this. Melchizedek did not demand that Abraham offer a tithe. But this was Abraham's way of acknowledging the truth of Melchizedek's blessing, that Melchizedek was truly a priest of God Most High, of Abraham's God. And by tithing to him, Abraham was demonstrating and acknowledging the truth of Melchizedek's priesthood. And so, you know, as, we, as we consider this tithe that Abraham gives and the blessing that Abraham receives through Melchizedek, I want us to see that the writer of Hebrews uses this as an example of why Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the priesthood of the Levites. We know that the idea of blessing, uh, bestowing blessing upon others was one of the main functions of the priesthood in Israel, as was the receiving of tithes. Right? Uh, the Levites, the priests of Israel, blessed the nation. They were the mediators of the blessing of God upon the people. And they were also the ones 
who received tithes from their fellow Israelites in order to support them in their work in the tabernacle, as is explained in Numbers 18. This tribe of the Levites, who did not have a land apportioned to them, would be sustained through the tithes given by the people of Israel. And so the writer of Hebrews is pointing to the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and received a tithe from Abraham, so Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High. He was functioning as a priest before the priesthood was even established. The question is, what's the big deal? Why is this important to understand? Well, I want us to remember, as we consider the importance of this, that the temptation the Hebrews uh, were facing was uh, to return to Judaism, the system of worship that was overseen by the Levites, by the Levitical priesthood. The Hebrews were being persecuted for their faith in Christ, and they were tempted as a result to turn from Christ back to Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews, he exhorts them to remain faithful to Christ and not to turn back. Why? Because Christ is superior to the older covenant in every way. He is the sum and substance of all of God's promises. And in this section, in this chapter, he is going to underline the fact that Christ is especially superior to the older covenant priesthood. He is especially superior to the Levitical priesthood. And so, loved ones, let's follow his argument. Let's follow his argument here in the text in Hebrews chapter 7. He says here that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and that he received a tithe from Abraham. And so this means that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham, to Abraham, who was the forefather of the Levites. Because Abraham was acting covenantally for him, for uh, Levi and all his descendants, and he was humbling himself before this priest and king, Melchizedek. And so the argument then that follows is that since Jesus' priesthood is not from the Levites, but his priesthood is from Melchizedek, that means that Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood. See, that Jesus is from the priesthood of Melchizedek. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is not from the inferior line of the priesthood of uh, the Levites. And so the writer here explains this very argument in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 10. And my hope is that now that we know the context of these verses and we understand the structure of his argument, that as we read these verses a second time, we'll see the argument unfold. So I'm going to read again for us verses 4 through 10 so we can see how this argument unfolds. There we read. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, 
though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, Howell Jones summarizes the argument in these verses so clearly. And he says, the argument here is that if Abraham, the forefather of Israel, and all the priests, humbled himself before Melchizedek, well then, the Hebrews should also humble themselves before the one whom Melchizedek typified, the one whom Melchizedek foreshadowed, Jesus, the Son of God. And so should we humble ourselves in the same way who are the church of today. And so we see, loved ones, Melchizedek's greatness, his greatness in that he was both a king and a priest, his greatness in the fact that he blessed Abraham and received a tithe from Abraham. And lastly, fourthly, we see his greatness in his appearance. We see there in Genesis 14, that Melchizedek seems to come out of nowhere. He, he doesn't have a, a genealogy that is recorded for us. He doesn't have a family line or a family tree. When we read, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, that the writer of Hebrews notes this very fact. He says that Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. The author of Hebrews here is pointing to the fact that the Holy Spirit has chosen, purposely chosen, to leave out of the inspired text Melchizedek's genealogy, Melchizedek's lineage. And so by design, then, it seems that Melchizedek has no beginning, he has no end because even his death isn't recorded in Scripture. It seems as if Melchizedek was not born, that he did not die, and we see that the Holy Spirit purposely chose to omit these details. See, this again points to Melchizedek's superiority. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, you look at the Levitical priesthood, uh, those guys in the priesthood had only a few years of ministry during their lifetimes. Many of their births are recorded in Scripture. Many of their deaths are recorded in Scripture, but Melchizedek's is not recorded. In fact, some theologians and even uh, many uh, Jews during the intertestamental period uh, made up many myths about Melchizedek because of this very mysterious nature of his appearance and his disappearance. And even some Christian theologians have concluded that because of this, uh, Melchizedek may have been Christ himself in pre-incarnate appearance. 
Now, I do not believe that this is the case because Melchizedek is described in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, as resembling the Son of God, not as being the Son of God. Beloved ones, what we see instead is not that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, but we see instead that Melchizedek is a type of Christ in the older covenant. He is a type of Christ. So what is a type? We spoke about the idea of types uh, many weeks ago when the writer of the Hebrews spoke about Moses uh, being a type of of Christ. When we talk about types, a type is something in the Older Covenant that points forward to the person and work of Christ. A type can be a person, an object, or a place that, that points beyond itself forward to the person and work of Christ, and it always resembles Christ in some essential features. And God, in His grace, in his mercy and his providence, God used many types in the older covenant to point Israel, to point his people forward, to teach them to anticipate a greater fulfillment, a greater reality, to help them not be stuck on what he had given them, but cause them to look forward to the coming Messiah, to the one whom we might say is the anti-type, the sum and substance of all of the older covenant types. One very well-known type in scripture that is often referred to is that of the Passover. That Passover meal uh, taught Israel the seriousness of sin, the need for blood to be shed in order for atonement to be made. Uh, It taught Israel that blood could be shed by a substitute. It taught Israel that God would grant forgiveness to those who were under that blood. All of this was a foreshadowing of what? of the cross. The Passover was a type in that it pointed forward to Christ. Moses also, as we said, was a type. And even Moses himself knew this. He knew that someone greater than him would come. In fact, before the Israelites entered the promised land, Moses promised them a new mediator, a better mediator, He said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Even Moses knew someone greater, better, superior to me will be coming, and it is to him that you must listen. And so let us then, loved ones, consider some of the ways that Melchizedek is a type of our superior Lord Jesus. As we consider our second point, the greater Christ. We see there first that Melchizedek resembled Jesus because he was a king and a priest. But what we see with Melchizedek is that he, like all the other Levitical priests and all the other kings of Israel, Melchizedek was not perfect. Melchizedek was born in sin just like all those who are descended from Adam by ordinary generation. But the Lord Jesus is our perfect and sinless king and priest. He will never 
fail in his offices. He fulfills them perfectly. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Reformed Catechism written in 1563, summarizes the perfect fulfillment of Jesus' offices of king and priest in this way. It says that Jesus is our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And he is our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us and the redemption obtained for us. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek because he is a perfect prophet and a perfect king. Second, we see that when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, Melchizedek was acting as a mediator of God's blessing to Abraham. But we know, loved ones, that at this point in redemptive history, having seen the fulfillment of all of the types and shadows of the older covenant, you and I know that in Christ we have a better mediator. We have a superior one. That in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing. The Apostle Paul summarizes uh, the blessings we've received in this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, where he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That through Christ, God has not held back loved ones from giving us everything that he has given the Son he has given us. Loved ones, even the meal, as we reflect on this, even the meal that Melchizedek placed before Abraham, even that was a foreshadowing of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Read again from Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, that Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, Richard Phillips, who's a pastor in our denomination, he says that Melchizedek's bread and wine spoke of the body and blood of Christ, sacrificed on the cross for us, as the source of spiritual blessing to all who believe. And thus, he brought bodily and spiritual refreshment to Abraham. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, but through Christ, we have loved ones received every spiritual blessing. And third, when we consider Melchizedek's name and title, we see, loved ones, that even these pointed forward to the Lord Jesus the translation of his name we read there in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, is king of righteousness, and his title is king of Salem, or king of peace. Now we know, as Christians, we know that there is no peace for those who are unrighteous because they are enemies of God. There's that bumper sticker, it's very see it often, uh, no Jesus, no peace. And it's a play on words that it's either N-O, if you don't have Christ, you do not have peace. And then the second one is 
know Jesus, K-N-O-W, if you know him, you will have peace. That bumper sticker is getting at this reality that without Christ, we do not have peace. Because it is Christ through his righteousness, through the righteousness that he showed in his perfect obedience to the law and fulfilling the law on our behalf, and then that righteousness being imputed to us, It was his righteousness in bearing the curse of God's wrath for sin in his body on the tree. It was through that righteousness that you and I now stand in peace with God. That you and I are no longer enemies of God, but we are friends of God. We are children of God Most High. Christ is the one who brings us peace through his righteousness. He truly is the Prince of Peace as Isaiah says, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And Zechariah, the prophet, says that Christ is the long-awaited king who will speak peace to the nations. Fourth and last, we see that Melchizedek points to Christ's eternal role as our king and priest. His eternal role as our king and priest As we saw, the writer of Hebrews pointed out, Melchizedek's birth and death are not recorded in Scripture. This is purposely done by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's way of showing us something of the eternal nature of Christ's ministry to you and to me. That Christ, we know, did fulfill his ministry in time and history uh, through his obedient life and his atoning death, but We know, loved ones, that it was a ministry that was decreed from before the foundations of the earth, that he is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth, that his ministry extends beyond time. His ministry is eternal, that it began with God's decree even before the beginning. And so this is why we say that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So loved ones, this morning, our eternal priest has set before us a meal, a meal that reminds us of his presence with us, a meal that reminds us of the peace that he secured for us by his own righteousness, that the Lord Jesus remains our only eternal priest high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And he is our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who defends and preserves us in the redemption that he obtained for us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and peace that is ours through the Lord Jesus. We pray for those in our midst who are troubled, that they would know afresh today the peace that surpasses all understanding. And guide our hearts and minds now, we pray, as we prepare to feed on Christ by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.